Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Modern Classroom Podcast. We have done 30 episodes. Wow. All right. My name is Kate Gaskell. I'm the head of teaching and learning here at Modern Classrooms. And in this episode, we will be talking about co-teaching in an inclusion classroom. And I am joined by Kadeja Scott, sixth grade ELA and special education teacher, and Allison Rice, sixth grade social studies teacher. This episode's very special to me. I was saying just before we started to record, because both Kadeja and Allison, I got to work with them over the summer, um, but they are teaching in Washington, D.C. public schools, which of course is where I taught and where I live. Kadeja and Allison, thank you for being here today. Um, I, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves to our guests and share a little bit about your career. Great to be here. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Kadeja. Um, this is my seventh year teaching professionally, um, probably fourth or fifth with just sixth grade. Um, I have, as Kate said, I've been in DCPS um, the entire time. I've been focusing on middle school and special education. Um, I was at my last school for about five years, and there I started with a behavior and education support class, um, and I eventually moved to inclusion English and reading intervention, and that is what I'm currently teaching this year um, at Ida B. Wells. So I moved here last year to teach and join the founding team, and I'm co-teaching with Ms. Rice. Hey, and um, I am Allison Rice. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This is going, or excuse me, this right now is currently my 19th year teaching. Um, I started way back in 2002 um, teaching in a middle school in upstate New York. Um, And then I taught in Georgia, right outside of Atlanta for two years. I actually taught first grade. And then I taught in Baltimore City for 11 years. Um, And I always hovered around fourth and fifth grade Um, And then when I moved from Baltimore down to the D.C. area, um, I started off with fifth grade and then I made the jump to eighth grade um, last year. And then this year when I joined Ida B. Wells, I became a sixth grade teacher and I teach social studies with Kadesha. And that is how the powerhouse co-teaching team of Scott and Rice came to be uh, in in D.C. public schools. And I I got to know both of you, like I said, over the summer. Um, You were both fellows doing the Modern Classroom virtual mentorship program. And I got to work with you a little bit over the school year. And we usually start by asking our teachers on the podcast how they found the Modern Classrooms Project. But I think this is an especially important question when we're talking to a co-teaching team. And I'm curious, how did this Scott Rice duo come to be? Um, and how did they come to the Modern Classrooms Project instructional model? Did did anyone need convincing? Was anyone, you know, pulling their colleague into this? Uh, not really. Um, it was, it's actually kind of like a medium light story. I actually worked with um, someone who was, who ended up participating in the virtual mentorship program the year after I worked with her. Um, and that was Lana Stevenson, who pretty much inspired me to apply. And so I, I've i been very interested in the Modern Classrooms model. Um, and so once I saw that she was part of it and she was enjoying it, then I, I ended up thinking about it. And last year, it was actually our um, coach who recommended that I go ahead and apply 
And from there, because Wells, all the classes at Wells are co-taught classes, my principal wanted to pair me with someone who also had a little bit of experience and interest in doing something like Modern Classroom. So that's kind of how the Scott Rice duo came to be um, at Wells doing the Modern Classrooms model. Awesome. Okay. So, so Allison, you, you did have some uh, exposure to the model or to like aspects of it beforehand? Um, yeah. So when I was hired at Ida B. Wells, I, you know, I was given the opportunity to teach sixth grade, which I was excited about. And when Principal Roman asked me, you know, she asked me to look into the modern classrooms instructional model, just to see if it was something that I would be interested in knowing that, you know, um, I would be going through the fellowship if I applied and, you know, got accepted. Um, and it was going to be, you know, a lot of work to get started. Um, so I did my research and spoke with Kadesia, you know, and Kadesia at that point was already accepted in the program. So I, I really like appreciated the, you know, the mastery based learning aspect of it and, and having the kids, you know, work at their own pace. So I decided to apply and I was thrilled to be accepted. Um, I don't think I needed any convincing, um, especially after talking to Kadesia and, you know, looking into the program myself. Um, I had been at a school prior that I was working with. Um, I had done the summit program, which, which is, um, you know, where the kids, it was more self-paced um, and they did things on the computer. So I felt like comfortable in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I was really excited about um, becoming a fellow and getting started with it. It's it's so fun as you know an employee of the Modern Classrooms Project to to think back about uh, the growth of the organization. So I I was also a fellow of the Modern Classrooms Project when I was a classroom teacher. And for the listener, this kind of marks I guess just very briefly. I am a history teacher, so <laughs> briefly a history lesson of the Modern Classrooms Project is uh, we used to be a predominantly DC area organization, and we um, you know we we brought fellows on again. I was a fellow, and they went through um, a kind of a version of the virtual mentorship program. And it's only been in the last uh, you know probably ten months or so uh, that we've really expanded into offering our virtual mentorship program to educators all over the country and all over the world. But, uh, you know, for those of us from the DC area, oftentimes, you know, if you hear us talking about being a modern classroom fellow, that's really the way this organization got started in a very peer-to-peer way. And Kadesha and Allison, I've loved meeting with you both one-on-one and as a team. Um, Can you walk us through how you, as a co-teaching team, how you plan, how you teach, and then how you go on to support your learners in a unit. And if you could speak to how you divide responsibilities and if this changes between units, because um, that's such an important aspect of co-teaching. Yeah, I can get started. Um, So we are, um, Kadesha and I are an ELA social studies team of three ELA and social studies teams in sixth grade. So there are three um, sets of ELA social studies teachers on our team. We all plan together. And one person takes the lead on the plans for like a two week rotation. So for example, like I plan social studies content, um, Kadesha plans ELA content, I plan social studies content. Um, So when it's my turn for the whole sixth grade team, I plan the social studies lessons for the whole department. But the good thing is from there, you know, Kadesha and I get to sit down and put our own like personal spin on the lessons. Um, We decide, you know, which students we're going to pull for small groups. We develop questions we're going to ask throughout the lesson. And we decide like what style of co-teaching 
we're going to plan for which part. So for for example, lately we've been we we noticed that with our you know short live lessons at the beginning of um, each class period, the engagement started to drop a little bit. So we split groups, we split the the larger group into two, and we're parallel teaching at the beginning now. Um, so we have a little more one on one availability with the kids or opportunity, I should say. So then again, we get to spend more time with each of our kids and, and each kid is held a little bit more accountable. So and as far as dividing responsibilities, you know, it depends on the week or even the class. We plan, we co-plan with each other, you know, twice a week or, you know, just in the moment too. Um, so we discuss, you know, went well and usually right after our class in the morning, because we have lunch in between, we'll discuss like what went well in that first class and then even make adjustments between the classes so that the next class, you know, we can um, add in something or take away something or, you know, switch something up if we need to. Mm-hmm. There are so many advantages to co-teaching, you know, and when it's done, when it's done well, like Allison and Kadesha, like you do it so well, kids can really benefit, you know, when teachers have that built in co-planner, thought partner, debriefer, if you will, um, we can really see some, some amazing things in our classes. Yeah, just to add on, um, so what Allison was saying about um, us kind of planning in rotation with the department, um, it's also been a great way to kind of do that peer-to-peer sharing that you were talking about, because now we've noticed that some of the other teachers, actually all the other teams, are doing things like creating videos or um, creating a mastery check and then working based off of that. Oh, that's really cool to hear. Um, Very cool. And then... uh, what would you say in terms of the kind of, you know, we talk about different models in co-teaching. Um, Allison, you mentioned parallel teaching, that you've really utilized that a lot this year. Would you say, are there any other models that you'll, that you'll pull out or are there particular contexts in your, in your modern classroom that you find, um, you know, this is great for station teaching or alternative teaching? I feel like we do kind of like dabble in the alternative teaching where, you know, one of us will take um, one side and the other person will take the next side or we'll kind of like switch off in the moment. Um, like if I'm not feeling like I'm not feeling a slide or something, I'll be like, hey, Kadeja, do you want to, you know, do you want to take this one? Or one of us will raise our hand for the other one and and kind of like add something in. Um, so I definitely feel like we do a, a good bit of that as well. Yeah. And I know that, you know, we talked about just that having, having a partner to share the, the video creation. When people are implementing a modern classroom for the first time, it's sometimes it can be really intimidating. You know, we talk about planning backwards, but uh, we are prepare. we're planning and preparing backwards, you know, when we, when we design a modern classroom unit and um, to have somebody who you can kind of split some of that prep work. Um, can you speak to just how that has, how that has affected your teaching practice? We could start for this one. Um, so because our co-teaching setup is actually a little bit different than normal, usually it would just be um, both of us teaching the same subject. And one of us, of course, I'm a special educator. Ms. Rice is the general educator. Um, but because sixth grade is departmentalized, I'm more responsible for the English and she's more responsible for the world geography or the social studies. So in terms of splitting the specific material responsibilities, we don't typically do that, um, but we do split the delivery of the instruction, the planning, and we do like to thought partner about um, I'm thinking about doing this in class. Do you think that's a good idea? So those are the types of things that we tend to collaborate on. 
Yeah. Khadija, you know, a question for you as the special education teacher, how has this blended self-paced mastery-based approach impacted you? I guess kind of everything from instruction, uh, that aspect of being a special education teacher to, uh, you know, building IEPs um, or resource supports. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I've noticed is that the pacing tracker generally is amazing data for that. Um, so thinking about IEPs for students, I can go to an IEP meeting um, and tell the student and their family, um, these are how many lessons that you passed, you revised this one, and then you ended up mastering it. You can tell how slowly or quickly students work. You can tell what they get stuck on. Um, so just the pacing tracker by itself has been amazing data specifically for um, students who do have IEPs or students who are English language learners. I'm also noticing that I'm able to modify assignments more now. And it's kind of a combination of being um, of having the modern classrooms model and starting from that mastery-based learning um, and also just being virtual, that everything is is online. So I can very easily make different versions of something um, of a mastery check, per se, to give to students. And that really helps with the differentiation. Yeah. Are you finding that it's, um, you know, because we always want to maintain student dignity uh, We in an inclusion classroom. I, I, in my classroom, at least, I found that I could do that with a bit more privacy sometimes. Um, what about you in terms of the specific, specific uh, instructional materials that you're modifying? Yeah. Um, so... I'll give an example. Um, so for our mastery checks, this is actually this is based on feedback from UK. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me too much credit here. <laughs> um, but one of them, um, actually most of them now are just writing assignments. Um, so for those, I'll usually have two versions and I'll provide one that is just the prompt and students have to answer the prompt. And it's just labeled mastery check. So students don't necessarily know that that's the one without scaffolds. And there's another one. Um, and the only difference is that it, it's like a version two. Um, but that one has a lot of scaffolds embedded. And the pacing tracker just doesn't have a link for that. So kids are not able to tell who has what. Um, they don't know that until they actually go to their Canvas page and look at their work. So as far as they know, they all have the same one, even if that's not necessarily the case. Oh, I like that. It's kind of a, a, isn't it amazing how we are discovering secret perks of being, of being, you know, Canadian Allison, if you haven't, listener, if you haven't picked that up, you know, they are, they are teaching for the most part remotely um, for this school year. I didn't even think of that. You're right. That is, that's kind of one of those sneaky benefits to, um, to all remote instruction. My colleague, Meg McGregor, who was a high school physics teacher, she, with older kids, of course, she allowed them to self-differentiate a bit. So she would create, you know, different versions of an assignment. Um, Of course, one version having more scaffolds than the other. And that was often, you know, maybe the class practice piece. So something where students are developing mastery. And we can put a link in the show notes to a great video that she made for teachers, kind of walking them through um, students at the high school level, even kind of selecting which version of an assignment they would do. Um, I, in my classroom, I definitely found that, uh, and we see it all the time really, is that the ability to uh, provide different mastery checks for students can go a long way. And as a general educator, I, I get echo everything you said, Kadeja. I could show up to an IEP meeting for a student with, I felt a lot more, a lot more accurate data um, and really data that I was using not as an expired snapshot from something we did 
oh, you know, here's a piece of work from a few weeks ago. Um, I can't say that I necessarily changed the next day's instruction based on this data. Whereas I found myself using student mastery checks really to daily inform my instructional choices for my learners, particularly those who who received accommodations and modifications. And it was a good feeling to be able to walk into an IEP meeting and meet with the meet with the people who loved that student and give them a more comprehensive picture of how that student was doing in my class. Right. And I definitely love this, not just the academic data, like this is how your student performed on this test, but it's also showing something that Zach said previously in another episode um, comes to mind is that it really shows effort. So even if a student isn't necessarily mastering every lesson, you can see that they're moving through and they are revising. Yep, absolutely. And that is something that I think for many of our students who receive special education services, um, you know, even by sixth grade, I think they they can feel pretty discouraged with school. And when we can message, no, revision, when we can kind of change the narrative, revision is revision's great. Revision should be celebrated. And we all revise. Um, I think that can be a really, uh, you know, just a, a beautiful shift in the life of a learner, too. Well, I think um, if I can just add something, I think the the pacing tracker has been really great for our kids also, um, because it is definitely a motivating factor that they want, you know, they want to see their, they want to see the boxes fill up saying mastered, 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 or completed. And I think also it's been great for us to add that even with the general ed population, with parent-teacher conferences, okay, this is where your student is. This, these are the assignments your student has completed. You know, these are the modules. This is this is where they are, and we share that. We share that um, pacing tracker with families because the kids are comfortable enough with it, um, and families are really excited and and they're very thankful um, that we are sharing that pacing tracker so that they can kind of keep track of of how their kid is doing and and how you know how far they're going along on the assignments and if they're keeping up. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, the pacing tracker in many ways kind of, it's, it's, it's almost an element of universal design to me. It kind of shows like what's, what's good for our learners who maybe need the most interventions is also good for our learners who don't need as many interventions. When we design things that can be very sound for, for, for students who qualify for special education services, you know, this, this can benefit students who don't, um, since the pacing tracker plays plays such an integral role in your inclusion classroom, Kadesha and Allison, I'm wondering if you can talk about how you, um, you know, sixth grade sixth grade is young, and you know, some people still consider them in the days of junior high. I suppose they're they're elementary in some people's mind. Now we kind of with more of a middle school model, we consider them middle schoolers. Um, but how did you roll this out to to sixth graders? That's a that's a great question. Kadesha, I'm going to refer to you on this one because you you kind of took the lead on the pacing tracker and you were the Excel genius and were able to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at Excel, so um, I just kind of followed Kadesha's lead on that one and just added another tab at the bottom. <laughs> it's a lot of copy and pasting. I did discover the copy formulas trick. You can copy a formula and paste it. That is great. Um, so that does most of the work. But as far, um, as, far as rolling the model out to students, um, we took, um, actually, I really don't think it was enough time. I think next year that, that will be one of the shifts that I would want to make is actually taking more time to do it. Um, but what we actually did was before even giving students the work, um, 
we included in our lesson for the day. It was kind of towards the end of that lesson where they were about to get their self-paced work. And we gave them different timelines for how they could get everything completed. Um, so basically for just for English, for, for an example, there were six videos. Those were the ones that I worked on over the summer with the fellowship. And so I gave them, if you are a gamer and maybe you want to play some Fortnite and some Roblox, you can do that on Saturday and just make sure you get lesson one video done on Friday and then lesson two video done on Saturday. Um, so just kind of giving them those different options to see how self-pacing actually works. Um, because like you said, with sixth graders, they, they don't really know how to manage their time instinctively. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think another, another advantage to being, to being virtual is if we'd ever say there were, you know, all these advantages to being virtual is, you know, I, it's the ability for parents to need to rely on checking the progress tracker um, that, you know, probably got a lot more parents and guardians invested in the class. Yeah, I feel like we're, you know, with some parents, I feel like we're in constant communication um, and they do really want to know how their kids are doing. And they do. Um, and we have we have students who are checking. They check the pacing tracker more often than than I know I do, because they're like, oh, wait, I finished this. And I'm like, I haven't been able to get catch up yet. You got to you got down a little bit. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just so motivated to like get to that end. And they really want to, you know, it's almost like a little race to a couple of the kids because they really want to get stuff done. Um, even though they know the work is, is not going to end, it's going to keep, you know, there's, there's going to be more t- to come, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, this year, of course, being a very unusual school year, uh, you both are for the most part still teaching remotely. Allison, it sounds like you, you do go into the building one day a week. Is that right? Yes. I teach a small group Wednesday mornings, um, just two hours in the small group of kids. Um, we just get to do, uh, like literature circle and, you know, just things like that. Yeah. Okay. So that, so uh, and uh, still a majority of your students, you are serving online, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. How have you both been able to shift this inclusion classroom to the virtual setting this school year? Well, it's, it's funny because, um, Kanesha and I haven't actually taught in the same physical space. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. Since you were, yeah, you're new to Ida B. Wells. Yeah. So we've actually only met in person three times. Um, we spend a lot of time together, however, like meeting and planning on, you know, planning uh, what we're going to do and, you know, fleshing out our plans all, you know, with the benefit of making sure the kids are, you know, at the heart of what we do. However, we were able to teach summer bridge together, which, you know, gave us the opportunity to get, to get to know each other's teaching styles, you know, before jumping in with like, 60 kids and a new, you know, new classroom, new year, all virtual. Um, So it's definitely beneficial to me. And we're both pretty flexible. So I think that's helped us to be successful with, you know, again, coming from two different places, two different grade levels and coming together in a virtual classroom. I definitely think flexibility has been key because we have to be ready for anything because at a moment's notice, things change. And like I, I keep saying to Ganesha with her help too, you know, I'm amazed at how many tech programs I've learned over the course of this year. In a moment's notice, I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do you do this? And Ganesha's like, well, just do this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, got it, done. So it's it's definitely been a lot of learning, but I feel like it's been a pretty good, pretty easy shift. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, 
I, I was joking with you earlier. One thing that I've always loved about co-teaching is just being able to make eye contact across the room and just make that facial expression. Um, and we're replacing that with text now. So it's, it's not exactly the same. Uh, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed about sort of following your virtual classroom, your virtual inclusion classroom from afar has been uh, to uh, to learn about your, I, I guess, motivational TikToks. I think, Kadeja, you just said the, the do your work TikTok videos that you make to motivate your learners. Uh, if we have permission, I'd love to link one in the show notes. Uh, can you tell me about how those came to be? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was literally, it, I mean, the fact, even though we gave all, all of our kids all of these different ways to make sure you get all the work done, they're still 11. So they still weren't necessarily getting everything done. Um, so that was one of our ideas was <laughs> Allison actually said one day, it's like, all right, I'm challenging you to make a TikTok. And so, so we both had to make TikToks to get the kids to do their work. So if the kids do their work, then Ms. Scott and Ms. Rice will make a TikTok. That's how I did it with in my room. So I did like um, I always had this idea as a teacher, and I'm like <laughs> my wheel of consequences. <laughs> so instead of consequences, I put a positive spin on it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do the wheel of rewards. And so if the kids in the class did a great job, like one of the rewards was make an Instagram post. Or um, one day I had my own children. I think it was on Thanksgiving. I had my children put a pie in my face and I put it on Instagram or on TikTok or one of those. Um, the kids did a really nice job. And so I made a TikTok of myself dancing because I was like, okay, what do you want to see? So I was dancing. In pajamas. In my pajamas. <laughs> to, I think it was like too legit to quit. And I, my daughter, because one of one of our boys, Amari, who's one of my favorites, he, he said, I want you to have a mustache. <laughs> so I had a mustache. <laughs> Anything for the kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you uh, can you walk me through? So let's say your your favorite unit of the school year uh, that you've designed for this inclusion virtual classroom. Um, can you walk me through what this what this has looked like and how you've uh, how you've been able to to really uh, address the learning needs of such a diverse group of diverse group of learners. Um, I so I'll start and say I'm gonna pass this one to Miss Rice in a minute because I think that her I think that her units are a lot more interesting than um, <laughs> that we currently have in English. Um, so I'm like we read the book. And then- <laughs> I actually I can talk about I I put myself in a position where I volunteered to um, create a unit for advisory. So for the entire sixth grade team, like not just, you know, every advisory teacher on the sixth grade team. Um, I was like, Oh, I've done them. I've done, you know, I was a mikvah teacher last year. I'm a mikvah teacher this year. Um, and mikvah is a, you know, mikvah challenge DC is a, is a great program, a social justice program. Oh, we love mikvah. I, yeah, uh, we'll put, we'll put mikvah in the show notes. They are a fantastic organization. Any government or civics teachers out there, they've got some really great resources. Yeah. So I'm a government civics teacher at heart. I love, like, I love the social justice piece of, of anything, um, I, you know, I worked with Mikvah last year when I taught eighth grade. And so I was like, I can do this. And, and then, so I said, you know, when the opportunity popped up, like, Hey, is there somebody who wants to, you know, write all these lessons, like six or seven lessons to do the, um, project soapbox? I was like, Oh, I've had 
I've, you know, I've done it a couple of times. Sure. I'll, I'll write these lessons. So I definitely kept, um, the model, the modern classrooms model in mind as I was creating these lessons. Like there were parts where, you know, the kids had to do things, you know, self-paced on their own. I did not do any videos, but there are parts where, you know, definitely had the mastery based pieces in there. Um, so I think that was one of, even though it was not part of my like core curriculum for social studies this year, world geography this year, it was definitely one that was close to my heart because of the content. But yeah, I definitely feel like for me, social studies is super, super cool. So, um, I really enjoy, um, actually the lesson I'm working on for next week. I'm super excited about. I'm taking a little bit, you know, a few, a few more risks with like how I group students and, and kind of like taking more of the ownership of the lessons and, and taking it off of us and putting it more on the kids so that they're working together and kind of teaching each other, which I do feel like is also a big part of the modern classrooms model as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I found that I could shift so much more responsibility to my students and that idea of, you know, a student peer helping another student peer uh, became very real for me in very organic ways uh, too. Um, I have a funny story for you as an English and social studies co-teaching team. Um, I, I'm good. I was good friends with the English teacher that I taught with. I was a high school social studies teacher. And I remember um, the kids were saying something to me one time, but Oh, like, why do we have to do so much like English style work? Like we're supposed to be writing essays in English. English, this is history. And I would try it and I would say, oh, but guys, historical thinking skills, they overlap with you know, the skills you're learning in ELA all the time. And this was an opportunity where I tried to like crack a joke with, with adolescents. I said, and besides, you know, English and history are sisters. Of course, you know, history is the younger, prettier, more fun sister. And the students, the kids just totally jumped on me. And they say, they started yelling, did you just say you're prettier than Ms. Patterson? You said you're prettier than Ms. Patterson. You said you're younger and more fun. And, you know, it kind of became this quick out of control. No, no, that's not what I, that's not what I said. Uh, You know, you can, uh, Ms. Patterson quickly got a text to say, (laughs) In case you have 20 kids running to you saying that I think I'm younger, more fun, and prettier, uh, I would like to go on record as what I accurately said. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, kind of with this very, again, very unusual school year. And it's so, it's so funny to me this past year after you'd said that, Allison, I thought, wow, I guess I haven't met either one of you in person either. Um, There's so many teachers over the last year that I've gotten to meet with just virtually that if you asked me how tall they were, I would have no idea. Um, I just, I just know what they look like on Zoom. Um, You know, I think we're all looking forward to somewhat of a, of a return to a traditional calendar next year. Obviously, there's still the possibility of hybrid in many districts, but we are hoping to get into our school buildings with more uh, with more frequency and to have more students in the building. I'm curious, having done Modern Classrooms almost fully remotely this year, what are you most looking forward to about implementing a Modern Classroom uh, in person next year? Um, definitely, definitely looking forward to to being in the classroom. Just thinking about um, the fact that our students have learned so much about self-advocacy um, and then revising their work and also just generally 
soft skills that they'll need. I'm really excited to see them kind of flex those muscles in person, um, whether it's with helping each other out as a tutor or even just organically working on an assignment with someone else. I'm very excited to see that. And also we've noticed that um, in middle school, kids' relationships are very important with each other. So that's really been the element that's been missing virtually. And now kids are kind of starting to get used to each other. They're, they're talking more, um, but it really took until about here to get to that point. Um, so just thinking about starting up a brand new school year and then kids being able to develop those relationships from the beginning um, with teachers and with, with other students, I, I'm very excited about that. Um, and also thinking about special education specifically, when it comes to students being able to advocate for themselves and, and their needs. Um, I've done some student-led IEPs, but of course, before none of my students had been had experienced the mastery-based self-paced model. But now just imagining what those same students might have to say about their own strengths and needs after experiencing this model is something that is also very exciting. Oh, I really love that. Yeah. And I'm like so excited just to be, and and again, I get a little taste of it on Wednesday mornings, but just to be in the same like physical space and also like implementing modern classroom model. Like I just cannot wait to be able to walk in and, and walk around the room and see what the kids are doing. And, you know, I think about, I think back to the modern classrooms video and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to be in a classroom and walk around and like lean over and write something on a paper and, you know, send somebody over to help somebody else and, and just be able to do all of those things that you can do in a classroom and not have to, you know, be sitting, you know, trying to, trying to orchestrate that on, you know, a couple of screens that I have and being able, like, we're, we're really good at helping kids in the moment, but being able to like really help kids in the moment and really kind of see where they are. Mm -hmm. And pull those small groups and and have kids help each other. Like it's going to be so great to be in that same space. Yeah, there's there's really no substitute for being able to just very quickly look down at a mastery check and say, oh, I want you to come back here and revise. Um, or I want to let's sit down and talk about number three, really being able to 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 do that next to a student, um, you know, not having to go through screens or multiple clicks. Um what elements of a co-taught inclusion classroom simply haven't been possible this year or maybe haven't been as developed as you would have liked to see because of remote learning? Um, definitely the the ultimate um, flexibility aspect. Um, like Allison mentioned earlier, we're both very flexible in terms of um, what we're going to do for that day for like a lesson or for pulling a student. But even thinking about um, last year when we were in person, and there were actually three of us in the classroom. A lot of times there would be maybe one teacher teaching and another teacher might notice a group of kids needs help and just immediately go over and help them. Mm-hmm. Um, or I might pull a kid out of the room and work with them outside and help them. Um, whereas in the virtual space, that has to be orchestrated. So we had to put a kid into a breakout room. We have to move them around, call them. So it's not as organic to be able to really help kids out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you both are recognizing, you know, it will get better and you're really having a lot of grace with yourselves this school year, which is important. Trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So to, to wrap us up, if you were talking to educators who are perhaps a little bit on the fence about signing up for modern classrooms, professional development, you know, a a 
team of teachers in an inclusion classroom. What would you say are the benefits of the modern classroom instructional model of blended self-paced mastery-based learning for serving students in an inclusion classroom? I think there are so many benefits, but like creative freedom comes to mind first, I think. Um, you know, Kadesh and I have been able to take the curriculum and even if somebody else is the lead on the lessons, we we can still take the lessons and put our own personal spin on how we get that information across to our kids. Um, so we make videos and sometimes, sometimes like in a, in a morning, I'll be like, you know what, I'm just going to do this as a video because it's probably going to work better that way. And then we try it out. We talk about it. And, um, you know, so we're able to do things in a way that we feel makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense after we try again, um, which to me is, is great to have that flexibility. And we also develop our assignments based on the changing needs of our kids. Um, we can have part of the class work in small groups while another part, you know, works independently. Um, so uh, to me, that creative freedom really has been wonderful. And I do feel like the, the model really benefits everybody. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Kadesha? What would you say? Yeah. Um, very, very similar to what Allison just said. Just it's been so valuable to have someone as a sounding board, like especially thinking about virtual learning because um, none of us have done this before. So thinking about um, like having someone right there who you can ask a question to ask, does this make sense or ask for feedback on something um, I think is, is very important. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was really fun for me because I've I've loved working with you both, like I said, individually, but as a co-teaching team and fun for me to get to connect with teachers from DC once again. Um, It's been a while. So thank you so much for joining me. Listeners, you can always learn more at our website and we'll be seeing you next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for having us on. It was fun. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.